The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. There are a lot of things going on in gaming now. Well, shit, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. But tonight, there's a couple of us on that we're going to talk about Blood Red Skies, we're going to talk about Aces, we're going to talk about the myths of Aces and a lot of different things. I'm joined by the one and only Brett Cantor. Brett, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great. It's good to have you in the podcast, man. And of course, Steve. Steve, how's life in the great white north? It's great. We're coming up on spring here. We're going to be in a little, like <laughs> Not 40 that degrees you're soon. counting. Yeah, exactly. Not that you're like, we'll be above freezing. It's going to be awesome. Uh, yeah, it was 60 some odd degrees here today. It was wonderful. And Brett, I don't care what it was in Florida. I don't want to know. <laughs> Probably was sunny in 75, I would guess, right? Uh, today was rainy, nice. but just before, just before yesterday, let's see, I guess yesterday it was like 86 or something. Oh, God, hot. that's so wrong. That's wrong. Wrong. Uh, but anyway, so so a lot of stuff has been going on for Lead Pursuit. Now, I know some of the historical grognards have basically told us we have deserted them. We've, we've sold our soul. Um, some of the people who used to work for Games Workshop have told us what horrible people we are to be buying and playing a game from the evil empire. No, not run by Vladimir Putin, um, but the evil empire of Games Workshop. So, yes, we are playing Aeronautica Imperialis. We we spent money on Games Workshop models. And, Brett, you've even actually painted your airplanes, right? That's right. I've got... Uh, what. Well, I got to get it right. It's a Suriani now, right? They're not Eldar. They're not Eldar. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're Eldari, a Suriani, whatever. We can't say Eldar now. Can't say Space Elves. Space Elves is so insensitive. But you got your crew, right? You know, it's, it's not a squadron. It's a crew. It's, it's you know, Mardi Gras themed, I guess. That's of. right. Well, I did some color shift paints. You know, I thought it'd be extra cool alien looking. And uh, they, they kind of, I don't know, it's kind of gold and gold and blue and green like i don't know it seems like mardi gras to me nice well uh yeah I, i've got some of my stuff painted uh but of course i primed some more and we'll see if those other space marine fighters get painted up the ziphons uh hoping to do a mix of uh salamanders and imperial fists we will see if i get those done i doubt it because i have so much freaking terrain to do um for this event uh this weekend five march uh, there at Goldmine Games. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, thankfully, most of the terrain I sort of got done before this week, but holy shit, I'm still building towers and painting things, and I was getting high in the garage today priming everything, <laughs> which I guess you, isn't a bad way to do it. How do you think that... Uh, we were talking about that army painter speed paint stuff. I wonder how that would do... I, I wish I had terrain. my hands on some. I think it would work great because... In uh, an airbrush, that'd be sweet. Yeah, let me be honest. Uh, half my terrain is done with contrast paints. So um, there's there's a whole series of stuff that everyone's going to see, and, they, and they've probably seen a couple things of it uh, that have that I've, we've put out on social media. Um, but that was done mainly with contrast paints, and then done with the GW dry brush paints. And yes, I realize GW dry brush paints are just dried up old paints. I get that. Thank you. Thank you for educating me, everybody who's out there. I know that. I'm not a fucking moron. Uh, however, let me say their dry brush paint, paints work really well. Um, and so I did a couple different contrasts and tried them and then did uh, dry brush over the top. Um, and, and I thought it worked out great for terrain. I didn't use an airbrush. Uh, you know, Casey suggested for me to do that. And I kind of wish I had 
but my airbrush station wasn't set up. So it was super easy for me to sit there with a big ass brush and a big bottle of contrast. And while I'm on some conference call where someone's blathering on about uh, deliverables and contract requirements and stuff like that, um, I, I could do the contrast work on those. So uh, I'm super happy with them. I did a couple other techniques for some of the other things, and we'll talk about that in, in later episodes. Um, but looking at the table right now, I'm happy with at least the things that are done. I'm not so happy with my pile of primed things that need to be painted in the next three days. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. But, you know, it's it's like anything else. It's learning techniques. It's practicing techniques. And what I'll say is um, I am the shittiest painter that's out there, literally. Uh, so this has been a fun exploring of techniques and trying things. And I, I can't say it enough. It's only plastic. Go, like if, you, if you're not used to doing terrain, and especially at a weird scale like 8 millimeter for like Aeronautica or, or Adeptus Titanicus, just go buy a box of terrain. Realize you're going to fuck it up and prime it and try different techniques and try different paints and try contrast and and you'll see some things you don't like. And for me, uh, Brett, you'll laugh at this because I know we've both talked about doing this. You get to a point where you're like, I really hate how this thing looks. This does not look the way I want. But then what you fall back on is other techniques that you know can either bring out the edge highlights, bring out the, um, the structure of the model, uh, or can change the tone of the model. Because quite frankly, after I used the contrast paints, there were some big flat areas that just looked terrible with the contract, contrast paints. They didn't have enough detail. Um, so you kind of come back and you figure out techniques to, to apply to those areas. So I, I think they're going to look good. It'll be fun. I think, um, you know, I was kind of excited to try the shifter paints and it was probably more operator error than anything, but they came out, uh, a little, I don't know what fuzzy is not the right word, but they, it, they weren't perfectly smooth when I put them on with the airbrush. So I'm a little disappointed in that, but I mean, I like the look overall I'll kind of achieve what I've, I wanted. I've seen a couple different, uh, Contrast, or not, sorry, contrast, uh, color shift paint, uh, I'll get it right, Suriani, not Eldar, uh, forces. And so it's it's been interesting for me to see some of them, I think the word, word I would use for years is chunky. It, it It's just like there's, there's bigger blocks of the color. Some of them seem to be smoother. So I don't know if it's a, a mixing it with medium thing, you know, what it is, because um, I, I haven't tried uh, shooting color shift through a airbrush. Um, but I've seen a couple different implementations of it. And to be, to be honest, they all look cool in different ways. Uh, I, I'm going to make that, you know, culturally insensitive joke. It's kind of like for me in Beaufort, seeing everybody drive by in their hoopties and everybody has different, you know, paint schemes to them. Some of them look good. Some of them look a little tacky, but you know what? They're all expressing their creativity. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of going for the tacky look, you know, I was, it, and tacky's gonna, okay. Yeah. 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 I, I was thinking, you know, a Suriani super like, you know, big superiority complex or whatever. And, uh, anyway, so that's all I was going for something that was like really kind of wild. But, uh, I think if I had it all to do over again, I really am kind of interested in either, uh, GW contrast or maybe those army speed painter paints in an airbrush and going for some of the wilder fantasy colors on these, these models in particular, I think you could probably get a quick and very nice result. Uh, anyway, just, well, I, I've, I've been impressed with, with with the GW contrast on the fighters. I've already enjoyed it. I'm going to try it with the yellow. I'm gritting my teeth because I don't know that their contrast yellow is going to work out the way I want. Whatever. It's a modeling strip it and repaint it. Um, but I really want to try the army painter speed paint. And part of that's because I'm an army painter fanboy. And, and I'll freely admit it. There, there are much better paints out there. I like army painter because it's cheap. It's reliable. It does what I want. So, um, most of the paint, other than the Krylon primer on, on my terrain, uh, most of the paints that are on there that are not contrasts are, uh, are army painters. So um, I want to see what theirs, how their speed paint works out. Uh, I've seen the videos. It looks impressive. I'll, I'll be honest. If you're doing something that is a sci-fi army, uh, it looks like theirs shoots really well. Obviously, you're not going to paint a historical you know, Air Force that way. But Steve, you've done bolt action stuff uh, in contrast and and uh, speed paint type stuff, right? Yeah, I used I used the GW contrast for some bolt action uh, U.S. paratroopers, and I, I like it. You know, I've never really painted figures before, and I feel like they're definitely 
don't know. I'd like to think they're a step above, like, tabletop standard. I mean, they're certainly not going to win any painting contests, but overall, I'd say they look pretty good. And I'm super excited to try the Army Painter ones because they're not, like, a $9 a model. So yeah, no shit. there's that, that plus. That's been the worst part is that there's been a couple colors I just wanted to try. And, in fact, one of the colors I bought... I only used on on one piece of terrain, and so it's not been worth the nine dollars I paid for it. Um, but you know the, and maybe people get the GW colors better than I do. I, I don't know why my brain doesn't. Um, I, I stand there in the in the Warhammer store here in Huntsville, and the guy, the manager, is is so freaking forgiving of me as I sit there and I stare at the paints and look like the RCA dog with my head canted 45 degrees, trying to pick the things that I all want to go together in line. I look at their chart and it still confuses the fuck out of me. Yet I go look at army painters and both their speed paints and their regular paint line work in the same color triangles. And so the same groupings of three colors. Um, so that just, that makes sense to me. I can sit there and go, okay, I know that my base color is elemental bolt. So these other colors are, are going to be the ones that work with it. Um, it's just, for some reason, I can't crack that code with GW. Probably my limitation, not the paint line. Um, but I think that's going to be one of my advantages to uh, to going to the speed paints. And, and I'll be honest, I, a little bit of my learning with contrast, painting things that, that aren't standard is, I think, and Chris is going to kill me when I say this, but... I think with contrast, most people aren't thinking color theory, and they're just thinking, I want to slather it on, I want to be able to cover some big areas with it that have some detail, and then go to painting my metals or my highlights or whatever and be done with it. Um, but what I found is if you take the time and you plan your color theory out right, and you know what goes with everything, holy crap, the depth is is there very quickly and that's kind of why i'm glad i sat there scratching my head looking like an idiot staring at the gw paint chart um to figure out which of their dry colors went well with their contrast etc cetera, etc cetera. um and some of it was experimentation as as it always is because i'm sure steve you you know screwed up more than your share of paratrooper models trying to find the the right combo of you know dry brush colors contrast colors things like that yeah, I'll tell you, talking about that, it's making me really excited for uh, Adepticon. Signed up for some of the uh, painting classes there, so I'm hoping to you know, put a few more tools in the toolbox coming home from Adepticon for sure. I'm just hoping to come back without a suitcase full of resin. <laughs> That's all I'm hoping. <laughs> no more resin and no more plastic. We'll, we'll see what I get. Oh, I got uh, the, VI, the VIG package again. Oh, did you? You yeah. no good son of a... Oh, yeah. I hate you, Brett. So it'll really yeah. only be my first time getting it. I mean, I got it in 2020, but they canceled the event, so I didn't really get it. But Dude, uh, you're any, going to anyway. walk back to the hotel, and two two dudes are going to jump out of the same car with you and mug you and take your VIG shit. <laughs> I, I got I to bring an empty an empty suitcase just to haul that stuff home. Well, that's always my point, and, and people laugh at me when I say it. I'm like, when you go to Adepticon, just suck it up and take an extra suitcase. And I don't care if you pack your regular suitcase and your big suitcase. What how, what you do to get there, know that you're going to buy enough crap that you're going to want another suitcase coming back. So uh, suck it up, buttercup. Do it. Take an extra suitcase because I know I'm going to buy a bunch of stuff. Yeah, this is my this is my first Adepticon. So I, I think I'm doing the suitcase in the suitcase and I'm just kind of, you know, planning on an extra bag fee on the way back. Yeah, and it's to me it's worth it, especially as you start getting towards the end and you've seen terrain that you like and you, you kind of have had a chance to um, uh, to take everything in and go, okay, I'm not going to spend all the money I have, but what can I concentrate and bring back? And then you suddenly realize that uh, a lot of it, either because of sale price or just because it's reasonably priced to start with, you're like, holy crap, I'm filling up my whole bag full of MDF or whatever. Um, or you're like me and you're buying scenic bases by the freaking pound. Uh, yeah, so it's it's really cool to do that. But let's let's talk a little bit about our events um, because the schedules and, and things are always changing. Uh, and I'll always tell everybody, uh, please go to the Adepticon schedule and clarify what's on the schedule. And if you don't know what the uh, campaign pack or the rule is, go read what it says on the schedule. Um because yours truly has been lazy and has not written the Adepticon mission packs for AI and 
Well, the tournament rules are on the website for GOE. So if you don't know the GOE tournament rules, well, you suck and you're probably going to lose anyway. Um, but anyway, <laughs> not to minimize your attempt to make your first tournament there. Um, the deal is we should have on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we have a total of four events, three historicals, one sci-fi. So yes, we sold out. We're doing an Aeronautica event on Saturday evening. Um, but the big focus for Lead Pursuit is Friday, uh, a midway game, Saturday, tournament, Sunday, midway game. Uh, the midway games are show up. Don't bring anything. Have a good time. Drink beer. Uh, play games. And uh, hopefully get to beat the crap out of whoever your opponents are. Uh, tournament. Standard 500-point U.S. format tournament. We're not doing anything goofy. Uh, the new master airplane list sort of doesn't really apply. We're still going with last year's list. Um, but if you have a question, email us. Uh, it's real easy. Doug at leadpursuit.net. Um, and, and I can square you away on whatever uh, any of the tournament considerations are. Uh, I don't think we figured out, are any of us playing in the tournament? I don't know who's being cut loose to beat the crap out of other people brett were you planning on playing steve <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know i was kind of playing it by ear I'll, I'll have obviously some planes with me that i could throw a list together quick if we need to even something out or whatever but uh, i'm just playing the whole weekend kind of by ear to be honest with you yeah same i'm you know i'll have all the planes and mats and everything with me so whatever i'm down yeah and yeah, I think it's going to be uh, a lot of fun just to see who shows up. I know we have some repeat offenders uh, from previous GOEs and TLC and some other things that are going to be there. Uh, so that will be good. Uh, I I think, Steve, that, that we've been called out again. Uh, there is a specific player from, uh, from NashCon who enjoys beating the crap out of you and I. Uh, and I think uh, said player has called us out. So... <laughs> We may uh, we may figure out who's running the tournament for both of us so we can get beaten badly and knocked down on the leaderboards. I don't, I don't know if I can take that again. Yeah, I, know. I don't know if my <laughs> psyche can do it. I don't think I can take being abused so badly, but that's all right. That That's the fun of this game. Uh, the good thing is Adepticon is supporting us with uh, medals and, and such for the actual tournament. Uh, and there obviously is Warlord prize support. I'm sure Lead Pursuit will give you something like, you know, one free resin model. Maybe at half price. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but Lead Pursuit will obviously have some stuff to give away, and uh, and we'll do those things. The AI game is going to be super narrative. So if you are an Aeronautica Imperialis player, uh, show up with a painted force. Uh, how many points? I don't... Uh, the, the website says 150 and have another army of like 200 or 250. Um, but show up with some airplanes uh, that are painted... So that will disqualify me. Um, and we're just going to play a bunch of different narrative games, a bunch of different tables that have different missions, that have different uh, th you know, threats and different targets. And it'll just be a chance for people to have fun. Because uh, thankfully, the Aeronautica Imperialis scene does not seem super tournament-based uh, right now, at least. Um, so hopefully it's everyone's going to want to have fun, play some cool missions with cool terrain, and beat the crap out of your opponents. Um, Steve, have you even started painting your AI forces? I have them about 90% painted in my mind. So <laughs> the process, the painting process has started. Yeah. I'm actually really excited for the AI game because very little experience with it. Really excited to kind of, like you said, hopefully get together a day before and kind of we can all just kind of goof around with it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Your terrain looks awesome. Thing. The pictures look awesome. It should be pretty fun. We're gonna we're getting in. Most of us are getting in Tuesday. Some are coming in Wednesday. Um, all of us will be there by Thursday. So I think the intent is at least amongst the lead pursuit crew, uh, we're gonna you know play some games on Thursday amongst ourselves or whoever wants to show up at the tables uh, and and have some fun. You know, basically get ourselves warmed up for the weekend's festivities. And that is as everyone can, they'll play through the games. Um, those who have to leave early, we'll take to the airport and send them packing on their way. Uh, but at least I think Brett and I are staying through the entire weekend. So we'll be there to the bitter end, uh, <laughs> making things. Oh happen. yeah. I'll be there through, I think I'm leaving Monday night too. I might be oh, the nice. last one out. Yes. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. Oh, if you're on the last man. one out, then yeah, nice. <laughs> we may leave you at the airport bar again as, uh, as your Brett and I bail on you. Um, but send no, him that, to the local, like 
postal place to ship our stuff. Yeah, to back. ship all of our stuff. <laughs> it's like, hey, dude, <laughs> go make sure all this shit gets sent. Uh, but yeah, so that actually, I thought that was John Russell's job. Uh, no, his job's to drive it back to Oklahoma City and then mail it to me. Um, but uh, you know, segueing from that, so John Russell and other random shit he owes me uh, a bunch of aces. So getting ready for Adepticon. Obviously, we've we've had our usual gathering of eagles kind of ace fest, I'll call it, where we generate some ace cards. Uh, a lot of aces have come in recently from Warlord, so they've released a bunch of Midway-themed aces, some Pacific-themed aces. Um, there's more that are in the hopper. But, you know, what do you guys think about the sudden, I'll, I'll call it sudden glut of aces? I, I kind of like it. You know, I have a... A special place in my heart for ace cards because that was kind of our first content creation and um i know i've kind of gotten you know i haven't thought hard about aces until recently we had a long spell where we weren't we weren't doing any but i like i like the ace cards because i they re, i relate to them because we've done a few ourselves yeah i i enjoy the ace cards that we've produced i've, I've really enjoyed the historical discussion around it so you know kind of like all things um, blood red skies, you know, Steve is the fan of history, uh, Bud Light, or is he actually, he's more like the Zima of history. That's what I'm going to say. Right, Steve, you're the Zima of history. <laughs> the yeah. The Zima of history. of history. Yeah. That's actually, that's a great way to put it. I really like that term. The white, white claw. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. White claw. White, history, claw history. white claw. He's not even Bud Light. He's full on. White I like claw. it. I actually, uh, I really like that. We're just going to go with that from now th- on. Yeah. That's kind of my point is, is I'm not a super grog history guy, but I love learning about it and I love studying it and I love finding, uh, individual stories that I didn't know um, or or just cool historical facts about you know different battles different actions uh, that that these ace cards have tended to bring out and to be quite frank I mean we got busy with a million other projects in lead pursuit and we stopped doing ace cards for a while but I think there's been a renaissance both for us saying well you know that's one of the first content things we created for blood red skies to to help the community expand their historical narrative games but more importantly for us it it kind of seemed like there were stories that needed to be told you know i i think we you know sometimes i guess we as as gamers kind of um we we may steal that and make that our banner too much you're like i just gotta tell the story of the battle of malta or i want to tell the story of guadalcanal and and our games don't resemble any of those battles (laughs) but i I think it's a cool way to explore a lot of that. So, uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the marketing behind aces and expansions and some other stuff here in a bit. But I think there's at least a recognition in the community that the both official and unofficial aces are value added to the game. I mean, what, what do you guys think about that? You know, just to kind of piggyback on what you said, like telling the story, right? So a lot of time, a lot of times, the, the thought is not only am I going to tell you the story of Malta or the story of Guadalcanal, I'm going to bludgeon you over the head with every piece of minutia I possibly oh can, right? Rivet the ace cards, <laughs> the ace cards are like the perfect way to be like, hey, here's something kind of cool that happened. Read this 600 characters on the back. And then it's a fun thing to add to your game, too. So the ace cards are kind of the perfect mix of, of both of those things, well, to right? Me they're, they're the counterpoint of rivet counting. And, you know, I'm probably stealing uh, Brett's thunder here by talking about uh, Warby Warburton here. But there's a dude who shouldn't even have an ace card by virtue of the airplane he's flying. Yet he consistently, with a freaking Martin Maryland, shot down enemy aircraft. <laughs> So literally earns his ace status, not because he's a, quote, bomber ace, but because he knows shit down to enemy airplanes. So I, th- I think there's there's a fun counterpoint to the what's the best airplane in World War II, you know, rivet counting. You know, the thing I have enjoyed the most about the ace cards is especially when you do a little investigating to find these guys that you may have never heard of. Right. I think even the novice has probably heard of some of the more legendary aces, right? But, uh, you know, there's some fantastic stories out there about guys you've probably never heard of before. And the stories are stranger than fiction. Like I'm routinely 
you know, reading into this stuff and, and thinking to myself, how is it every kid doesn't know the, you know, how is it this was not portrayed in a movie? It's this, the story is so crazy. Anyway, that's been well, a I mean, big it's, thing. it's simple. The, the reason it wasn't a movie because, Steve, what was your favorite 80s movie? Iron Eagle Man. I thought it was Iron Motherfucking Doug, Eagle Man. Doug Masters <laughs> for the win. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I knew we had to get an Iron Eagle reference in here somewhere. Uh, but there's there's a point to that with a lot of the ace stories that, especially f- for me from for World War II, are such average people that are in you know above average situations. They're out of their depth, but they perform amazingly. And, and you know, it goes back to the discussion we had uh, with Corey from C- Cigar Box uh, Gaming Mats of why I don't like Battle of Britain because I think. Battle of Britain is so overhyped in a lot of ways that the real story of Battle of Britain is a bunch of dudes who should have lost and got their ass handed to them by a professional air force actually beat the hell out of that professional air force, <laughs> you know, and, and that's not necessarily what's always told. It's a, it's a much different story sometimes of nationalism and national pride and, and airplane rivet counting where you're like, no, these guys even took hurricanes up that should have been blown out of the sky, and they still won. You know, was there a ghost of Dover? Yeah, <laughs> no, there was no ghost of Dover. There, there was the the yeah. <laughs> we can't yes, go to the was. ghost of yet. He's real. He's real. The ghost. He's of Dover. real. He's real. We, we can't talk about ghosts yet. That's that's in another five minutes. Um, so before we go to to more modern uh, iterations of aces. Brett, what are some of the things that Lead Pursuit has in the pipeline for totally unofficial aces? And before before you tell me, let me caveat this. Uh, unlike Ken Nat, we chose not to go to Andy and ask for official status. Um, and it's not because I don't like Andy, and it's not because I'm trying to poke Andy in the eye. It's because we truly felt these are kind of things that are community-owned. They're not going to be used in a tournament. The, the point is not to make some official sanction of what this pilot or person's representation should be in the game. They're just to cause people to dig into the history and to find out more about it. So no, they're not official. Andy hasn't seen them and don't ask Doug cause he doesn't care. Yeah. I think a lot of them were inspired by games. We were either playing or content we were creating for like Malta or some other thing. And uh, like, Hey, wait, I've never heard of this guy. And he was important yeah, to this thing. Yeah. So we made a card. Right. And um, so, yeah. So I, the last GOE, we came out with some cards, um, I think we did uh, Herman Graf and Wally McLeod. And, but since then, we've made a whole bunch more, and soon we'll get a chance to see them. And hopefully, Doug, you can cover kind of what that's going to look like on the website soon. But I'll just uh, kind of rattle down the list of some of the more recent ones we've worked on that we should be able to see soon. Uh, folks could you know grab off the website soon. Uh, the first one is Adrian Warburton, uh, Warby Warburton. You talked about him, right? This guy is the quote unquote most important pilot in the RAF right so I'll just read the little synopsis of this guy and you be the judge right so known as six medal Warburton all of Warby's gallantry awards were earned while flying from Malta despite struggling with pilot training and some early flying mishaps Warby would become the most highly decorated RAF photo reconnaissance pilot of all time Warburton was described by the air marshal then commanding the Middle East as, quote, the most important pilot in the RAF, unquote. Warburton went missing over Germany in April 1944 while on a recommission in a U.S. Army Air Force F-5B Lightning. So uh, uh, in the past, I think when we made some of our earliest cards, we tried to kind of associate the pilot with the aircraft that they, you know, flew specifically. Uh, uh Warby flew the Martin Maryland, the photo reconnaissance Spitfire, the FIB Lightning. But, uh, you know, so he would be, what, multi-engine and single-engine? Uh, a little unusual for this guy, like you said, because he's a photo reconnaissance guy, right? So we gave him plus one agility, cool under fire, and true grit. And, uh, well, and I think his is another one of those stories that you look at and you go, this is hard to shoehorn into a perfectly balanced game card so we're just not even going to try to make it balanced we're, we're just going to have something fun that gives him some skills gives him uh some abilities and then we go from there yeah he's fun he's probably one of the more like funsies kind of guys to have on there but all of them really are ones that are not uh maybe ones you've heard of they're not like well i don't know maybe not all of them but anyway i just got a crazy scenario i 
idea with that. If you would do like him as an ace in a scenario and he flies his, you know, scenario zero spitfire to a certain point, you get like high cover guys that come in or something. I think that could actually be like you were saying, just a super fun ace card to kind of have some scenario utility there. Yeah, he's, I think he, I think there's a lot of fun and I think there's going to be, you know, people that will really appreciate it because it is so different, right? Kind of not mainstream, I guess. Uh, so anyway, uh, continuing on, uh, we have a, an Italian guy we did one for. So Luigi Garini, while flying with the Regia Aeronautica, Garini flew the CR-42, the G-50, the C-200, the C-202, and the C-205 in combat. He later flew combat in the G-55 and the C-205 with the Aeronautical Nacional Republicana. The ANR. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. Garini was involved in 212 air battles, was credited with 24 solo air victories, was wounded three times and bailed out five times. Among his victories were Allied bombers and their escorts, including Spitfires, P-47s, and P-38s. Garini was the only ANR pilot to be awarded Italy's highest military award post-war for accomplishments which took place before the armistice. We gave him single-engine fighter, Plus one firepower, giant killer, and comeback king. I think that's a pretty good mix for those, you know, uh, I think that those uh, ace traits fit with his narrative. And in case everyone can't figure it out, Brett eats his Italian food at the Olive Garden. You got <laughs> yeah. any of that chicken parmigiana? <laughs> yeah, I didn't so get any I of that, right? <laughs> I just got to pick on you. Don't worry, man. It's I'm the same way. I totally... Absolutely mangle those names. Uh, I can do um, the German no. stuff all right. Yeah. <laughs> German stuff's easy. Just sound like you're yelling at somebody. Uh, yeah, so I, I think uh, that's another card that, that's going to be a lot of fun. And plus, when you get these people that have flown a wide variety of aircraft, it gives you a chance to be somewhat historical and put them into your, your scenario uh, with other than like one or two different kinds of aircraft. So that's always pretty cool. All right, here's another fun one. Now, help me out, Doug. This one was inspired by... Some folks that joined us on a uh, previous episode who actually had a, uh, a family member, uh, if I recall, that was uh, right. Was so that friends this one? Of, or friends was... of their family was so. Uh, well, you have to tell me which ace it is. Oh, we- Westy Westbrook was right. that the guy? Yeah. Yep. So that's our that's our friends over uh, at the Anything But a One Adventures in, Adventures in Historical Gaming, if I can say their long title of their podcast correctly. Uh, Tom and those guys over there who are an awesome bunch of fun um, and and have been a cool bunch of fellow podcasters to work with man this guy westy westbrook he's a stud he looks like a movie star and maybe he might have been i don't know so let's check him out robert westy westbrook born and raised in hollywood robert westy westbrook that's a tongue twister had a movie star good looks and a personality to match Westbrook began flying combat missions from Guadalcanal with the 44th Fighter Squadron Vampires, a squadron he would later command. Westy earned seven of his 20 victories flying the P-40 Warhawk and also flew the P-38. He was the highest scoring ace in the 13th Air Force and one of only 10 U.S. Army Air Force pilots to earn ace status in more than one aircraft type. Westbrook was killed in action in November 1944 while strafing a Japanese gunboat in Makassar Harbor. So uh, single engine or multi-engine, plus one firepower, and uh, I know your type. And what, did we ultimately go with chicken run on this one? I can't remember. I'd have to, my notes are inconclusive You're the one that here. designed the card. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I'd, I'd so have to I'm, go look. I forgot. Actually, I, yeah, I probably have it right here on the revised version of the website. But yes, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, he's a pretty cool guy. One, A guy I'd never heard of before. And, and, you know, these synopses are so small. They don't tell the full story, but give you a little glimpse into it. So little details like the fact that, you know, he was one of so few guys who you know, we're aces, but in multiple aircraft, I, you know, it's pretty unusual oh, yeah. stuff. And, and, you know, and yes, we did give him chicken run according yeah, to the website. I thought so, yeah. <laughs> I, I had some notes. Uh, I'm looking at some notes on my screen and I had some, uh, that's the hardest part for making these ace cards. Well, there's two hard parts. Probably the truly hardest part is taking these amazing stories and condense them in, in, condensing them into 600 characters or less so they actually fit yeah, on the card. Yeah. That's, 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 that's the hardest That's not part. easy. I, I laugh every time you have to do that. I'm like, whew, glad that's not my problem. Yeah, that's kind of my process. I just kind of, well, I put, I, I have this process where I write it up and then I in, go back and reread it and intentionally cut stuff. 
and then I start to count the, the characters. It's it's a process. But anyway, that's the hardest part. The second hardest part is just assigning ace traits to them that reflect their story. Sometimes that's easier than other times because uh, you know sometimes the stories are kind of clear, like something that they were you know super good at. Like this guy was really good at gunnery, or he was really good at snapshots, or whatever. Right there, we got a you know ace trait. That's pretty self-explanatory. But sometimes there's not as much to to help you you know, figure out what it should be. So sometimes that's tough. Oh yeah. Well, for me, one of the other cool things about aces is the interlinked history. And, uh, this kind of goes back to, how do you know if somebody's a fighter pilot? Just wait, they'll tell you. Um, so <laughs> one of the cool things for me coming from fighter aviation is the history of a lot of the squadrons that I have flown against in training, but didn't necessarily know. Cause I'm sorry, you don't stand around the bar drinking beer, talking squadron history when you fly against these other guys. <laughs> That's not how it goes. Um, but like the 44th Fighter Squadron. So a fighter squadron that in in my mind has a storied history, I just didn't know what that history was. And I had flown against them just for years. Every time we went to uh, Okinawa, the 44th was one of the F-15 squadrons that we would go out and we'd fly uh, missions with and against. Great bunch of aviators, a lot of fun. Uh, but I never really knew their history. So it, it's always kind of funny when it comes full circle. And, you know, Brett, you send me this card and I look and I go, 44th Fighter Squadron Vampires. I'm like, that's the same dudes that are in Okinawa now. Um, and, and so that's kind of cool because a lot of times we tend to know our own services history or our own uh, squadrons history, and we don't know the cool things. So literally the 44th, who I trained with and flew with as a Marine aviator, guess what? They also flew out of Guadalcanal with the Marines. So it's just, it's kind of funny that, that units end up back together in this, in the same AOs. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, another thing that I get out of these cards too, it really inspires me for some of my painting projects. So, uh, you know, I, in the research, it's pretty much impossible to not come across images of their aircraft and stuff like that. I'm like, oh man, next time I'm, you know, painting that aircraft, I gotta make sure I paint one like that. So that's kind of fun. Here's All one. Right, so what are the other ones? What 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 else cool do you have for us? Uh, I got a couple more. This one's a kind of a departure. Here's one for Korea. You ready for it? Sure. Hit me with Man it. Manuel John Pete Fernandez Jr. Yep. Manny Fernandez. Yep. Joined too late to serve in World War II. Fernandez, an advanced instructor pilot at the time, wanted to see action in Korea and repeatedly requested transfers to the war. The Air Force, reluctant to send its best instructors, denied his requests. In frustration, he began showing up late, drunk, or sometimes AWOL, seeking either a court-martial or a transfer to the war. Fernand I don't know why I didn't think of that myself. I, I <laughs> totally should have thought of that. Fernandez was sent to Korea, where he proved to be one of the best combat pilots of his generation. Pete was an expert in the art of deflection shooting and had a reputation for looking out for his wingman's safety. Fernandez became the third leading American ace in Korea and was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for Extraordinary Heroism. So, of course, he gets Snapshot and Mother Hen, uh, Plus One Firepower, and Jet Two. Nice. And, well, and it's good to have some Korea-specific aces out there. I think there is a perception, I'll say, that, that not near as many people play the Jet-era stuff for Korea. And I think part of that is just it hasn't been built out. It isn't publicized as much. Um, there are two airplanes that you fly against each other, and then if you want to lose, you fly the other two airplanes, like the P-80 and the <laughs> F-9F Panther. Um, but that... I think there's a lot of cool stories to be told beyond kind of what's already been put out there and, and what's really well known for a lot of the aces, uh, specifically for the Korea, um, the, all those uh, aces. And let me be honest, there's a lot of cool pilots that have awesome stories that didn't make enough kills to be an ace in Korea. And you just hear some of the stories of the heroism um, and, and the things they did. And I'll be honest, on both sides, there were some Russian pilots uh, that were flying, Russian and Chinese both, that were flying uh, under the auspices of, of North Korea that did some amazing things and took on some amazing odds. And it's and it's interesting and fascinating to read uh, those accounts. All right, this next one came out right when, I guess we were getting, uh, Warlord was getting ready to release an Oscar model, right? So uh, we were thinking, oh man, we need to have an Oscar race. So that's that's where this one comes from. 
Saturo Anabuki, nicknamed Flower of the Youth Flyers, Anabuki entered the war flying the KI-27 Nate over the Philippines, scoring early victories against P-40s before his unit upgraded to the more advanced KI-43 Oscar. In Burma, Saturo scored more victories, including a claim of three B-24s and a P-38 in a single engagement. Later in the war, Anabuki returned to action over the Philippines flying the KI-84 Frank, where he downed at least four F-6F Hellcats. Depending on the source, Saturo's final tally of 39 victories makes him the second or third highest scoring ace of the IJAAF in World War II. So he gave him the right stuff in Giant Killer and plus one agility. Single fighter. Single engine fighter. So, which is really hilarious because the official now sanctioned warlord Saturo Inabuki ace card is plus one firepower, hammerhead, and mother hen. <laughs> Yeah, see, so, I, I, yeah. kind of we made this way before those came out. So. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's kind of funny, and you know, whatever. If people want to get bent around, is yours the official one? No, it's not. Um, it's just a take on what people's skills were, and so it's it's kind of fun, and it's it's different ways to play, guys. Um, and and I'll use that as the segue of getting overly wrapped around the axle about the historical representation of aces. Yes, Dan, I'm talking about you. So <laughs> here is something funny that I find, and, and I understand why people get frustrated if an ace trait doesn't play well with the airplane the ace normally flies. I, I get that. Trust me. Um, that is frustrating when either your ace trait reflects a trait you already have or just is a capability you can't use in your normal airplane. Yes, I hear you. I get you. Not my fault. Um, but I think a lot of people go to that rivet counter level with the aces as if there's a right way to describe somebody's innate flying ability. I don't know, Steve, you and I have, have argued back and forth about that, about different ways to do that. You know, what's your take on, on aces as a representation of a real world pilot? Yeah, I, I think you just got to make them fun. I think we're kind of going about the way that it's a game, right? And you want it to be fun to play the game. And you want it to add something to the game that makes it different than just playing the game like you were normally by rolling an extra dice, right? So it kind of feeds into that whole story, correct? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's to me, it's all about the story. It's what is this individual known for having done or what's some cool anecdote of one one fight they were in that this is a technique or a tactic they employed uh Brett what are what are some of the new other aces we've talked about that that may may or may not be well-known uh fighter pilots this guy this next guy needs to be super well-known i think steve is actually a blood relative of our next one it's Lance Cleo Wildcat Wade I don't know. You want to say anything about this one, Steve? <laughs> no, you know, you... I don't know that I'm a blood relative of him, but you certainly think I should like apply to Ancestry.com or something and see if it's there because this guy we found doing, uh, I guess, image searches for the campaign book, right? And sure enough, you kind of, I kind of have a little resemblance, I think. Yeah, we have. He's sort of the poster child of the campaign book that we did because we have a we found a colorized picture of him and uh right away we're like oh my gosh it looks like steve <laughs> so do the, so the same thing guy. happened to my friend joe there is literally a russian cosmonaut that looks like him and he's like this is not possible and then he started looking at, at like history and like the guy even visited america and chicago where his grandmother was <laughs> and I was, he's like no there's no way this guy cannot be my grandfather <laughs> not Man, be my really... true biological grandfather but he looks just like him Except in a Soviet uniform. <laughs> I need to really look into this now. Like potentially, maybe I don't know. We gotta we gotta dig a little deeper on this guy. Well, yeah, you, there's some research that needs to be done there. It, it's funny too because so we we didn't know anything about this guy. It was just a random picture we saw that we just kind of fell in love with when we were doing the campaign stuff. But then I realized later on that it's the image we were seeing is the image of this noteworthy ace that we'll discuss in a second. But when you hear the guy's story, all the stuff he did, it's just like out of the campaign games Steve and I have played, like the crazy stuff that happens in our campaign games, this guy did it. And uh, he's, he's, in our minds, has become the poster child for our campaign system. So um, 
You see, Lance Cleo Wildcat Wade, one of Britain's highest scoring fighter pilots, was a former mule skinner from Texas. Given the name LC at birth, he called himself Lance Cleo Wade to satisfy RAF regulations. Turned down by the U.S. Army Air Corps due to his lack of education, he was accepted by the RAF in late 1940. Sent to Malta, then Egypt, Wade became an ace while flying hurricanes. Wade was once forced to land 25 miles behind enemy lines when his plane was damaged, but evaded capture and returned to British lines on foot. Wade is credited with 25 victories and is the leading American ace to serve exclusively in a foreign air force. I love this story, you know. <laughs> Awesome. That's funny. That that is. That's he good. didn't even have a name. He had to make up a name <laughs> yeah, right. to fly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. And uh, you know, his whole story. I mean, there's so much more to his story about how he actually, you know, he got his pilot's license on his own. There's all these things that happened, but he didn't get accepted, you know, into the Air Corps. But RAF took him, and he got it done. So we gave him. I know your type and aggressive single engine fighters plus one firepower. So. Just a cool, just a cool cat altogether. Well, I think there's a lot of aces that have cool stories that um, may come from less than ace-like backgrounds, maybe uh, <laughs> that uh, that make for an interesting telling. Uh, well, Brett, do we have any others we want to talk about, or do we want to kind of talk now a little bit more of the big picture of aces? Yeah, I mean, I've got. Really, only two more new ones. We could save those for later if you want. Yeah, you yeah want we'll do. save those for, for another episode to leave everybody hanging on, wondering what's next. All right. Well, there's two good ones, two really ones that I'm <laughs> especially proud of. I, I really like them. So good stories behind both. Well, so one of the things that I obviously alluded to a little bit earlier was people getting wrapped around the axle with, you know, how do you represent the ace? Um, I think there has been a fascinating shift in Blood Red Skies players uh, as to as to what they think is important in the game. And I bring this up because I continually have this argument with various arms of Warlord. And I think part of the problem is because Warlord sells a lot of games to a lot of retailers and a lot of wholesalers who then ship to retailers, and their data doesn't necessarily get broken down by individual customers. And for whatever reason, maybe... Maybe they don't see the same data coming in off their website, off the orders that people put in through Warlords US and UK and overseas sites. Um, but it's interesting because the the two comments that have been made to me by Warlords or mouthpieces of Warlord, uh, first was that, well, nobody cares about aces. And then we literally blitzed them with orders for all the Midway and, and Pacific aces. Um, and another card was, or another comment was, well, no one really wants the expansion decks. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of a weird comment because quite frankly, from where I sit as the dude that fulfills most of the lead pursuit orders and ships them out, um, gamers go through a couple phases. So so everyone obviously buys like a starter set or the airstrike book and some box of squadron airplanes. But very quickly, the next thing that most of the serious players seem to buy is an or two expansion decks. And then dice, because you're all a bunch of fanboys, and you just want your, like, themed dice. Or maybe it's because your starter set dice suck that bad, <laughs> Brett. <laughs> so so I, I think it's interesting, because it, literally when we look at the stats, um, for us, the second most popular things, besides just pure squadrons, are expansion decks. Now, that may change with the Master Aircraft list and how some of the cards now in the expansions are out of date or are already in starter kits. Um, but then the third wave that people buy into is aces. And I think that's an interesting dynamic that we've alluded to tonight. We really haven't talked to a lot, but that when you first start playing the game, you don't really want aces. You don't need aces. You don't, your, your ability to play the game, you're not thinking about ace traits. You're just, how do I use the aircraft traits? How do I move on the board? How do I do all these things? And adding an ace is like just, it's unnecessary fluff. Um, Brett, Steve, I don't know if, did you guys kind of go through that phase and then suddenly come to a realization that aces are cool? Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about it a lot, that the best thing that Blood Red Skies has going for it is it is truly like a sandbox game, right? It is like the Grand Theft Auto of tabletop games. You can make it whatever you want it to be, right? And 
when you start adding aces, if you want to go the scenario way or the thematic way, they work great. If you want to go into the tournament way, they can work for that, you know, but Blood Red Skies truly is like a create your own miniatures game and uh, all of the aces and the card decks and all that just kind of feed into that. We played a game last time Steve was here and uh, we busted. I think I played Hartman on the table and I'd never done it before. Man, we had a ton of fun with that tail snapper. You know, it's just different stuff. It was super fun. So like Steve was saying, you know, you, the big sandbox, right? You can just do whatever you want, you know, make make some narrative game and pull out an eight, you know, whether it's in a tournament or if it's just funsies games, it they're just awesome. It's It just changes the experience of the game altogether. I think it does. And I, th- I think it gets to a certain point that you have to you have to play to a certain level to use the aces because to be quite honest it also depends do you play open deck closed deck how often do the ace traits come up um are you willing to pay the the tax for a named ace with with you know two ace traits i think there's been a collective thought that that wasn't worth the money but i've also seen people use a named ace really well with two traits in a tournament so I think just playing, even just in garage games or whatever, if you're playing the aces, incorporating that into your regular gameplay on occasion, that uh, just like playing the different missions or even just playing clouds differently, you know, with the different uh, weather cards than maybe a bog standard game, expands your experience with the game. And I think just makes you a better player at the game because you figure out combos that you never would have come across before. Yeah, that that, that was like Steve's and my grudge match where I played an ace heavy list and it was a different style game because every time I played it, I was trying to play to those ace strengths. And so we got in one game that was a delaying action of hopping in and out of clouds until I could get Steve to blunder into range of my ace traits. <laughs> and and then the game took on a more conventional flavor. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a level people have to get to. And uh, it's not that it's vastly more complex. It's just you, you kind of have to step back and say, okay, now I've got these these two different traits. I've got some different abilities. This guy is not going to totally win the game for me, but I need to figure out where and how to build my strategy around him. I think that basic concept is what what gives me so much joy in the few times we play a tournament game. It's not my primary way of playing, but when we do it, I really like it, and I think it's because I get to do these wacky combos or you know other things, considerations that wouldn't have come up in you know, the campaign games that Steve and I typically play, and I just it's just fun. It's just a, it changes everything a little bit. Yeah, and I think they- there's part of the myth of aces that's really fun to play where. If you're putting Hartman again in a game or you're putting Gabby Gabreski, it's whether they win the game for you or not. It's part of this myth of somebody that that did amazing things and you're putting them into the game and you're seeing if it's going to work out for you. And I mean, shoot, everybody that plays X-Wing, if they play Luke Skywalker, do they win every game? Probably not. You know, I don't know. I don't play X-Wing. Uh, but it's it's one of those kind of gaming moments where you want to play something a little bit larger than life and something that may be a little bit unbalanced, but that's the point of playing it because it's a it's a fun game. Um, but I think that that really fits into the the story of aces and why we care about aces and and why arguing the historicity of aces is sometimes missing the point. Now, I know Steve wanted to totally drag me into this, and I'm going to let him, that dirty, no-good son of a bitch. Um, But to that point, it even goes to discussing modern-day potential aces, like Steve, who's your new favorite? I mean, the the ghost of Kiev, right? That's it. <laughs> Kiev, that's Kiev to Kiev, you. Kiev. you <laughs> yeah, I I think there's there's an interesting point there, whether whether it's a real story or not, whether there really is, was, whatever, a Ukrainian pilot who achieved all these shoot-downs doesn't matter. It's the fact that there's a story, that there's a national narrative that inspires people and that it's tied to a specific type of aircraft and a specific, you know, times and dates of locations and, and actions. Uh, I I think there is a... A bad tendency, and it's not just gamers. Because trust me, I've I've dealt with this with some of my aviation historian and aviation photography friends, where I said, "Stop being such a wet blanket." 
I, I don't care if the ghost of, of Kiev ever existed. I don't care if he's totally made up and it's all DCS footage. Don't care. Uh, the fact is, it's a story. It's, a, it's an urban legend. It's like so many things that have inspired people since the dawn of time. Let people tell the story. Let people live in the moment. And you know what? There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of shit that goes on in combat operations that is unexplainable. People get shot down and they don't know why. You look at some of the Vietnam records, they're like, yeah, I think he got bagged by, uh, by Flack, by AAA. And in fact, a MiG-21 shot him down. But we didn't know that till like 20 years later. So you know, I think with this one, there's, there's a grain of salt you have to take with it. I know some of my foreign pilot friends who are more plugged into uh, non-NATO, non-U.S. Air Forces, um, they assure me that uh, he was a Ukrainian colonel, um, Colonel Alexander, call sign Gray Wolf, uh, um, you know, they assure me that he was real, that he was just killed in action the other day, uh, that everybody in the, the fighter pilot group that was in there, that they all toasted him. I, I don't know. And, and to be honest, I don't care. I'm not going to go out there and rain on someone else's parade and say, there is no ghost of Kiev. There's, there's, um, there's obviously some MiG 29s that, fought against some amazing odds and actually bagged a few Russians. <laughs> and I think that's the story to take away from it. Is there going to be a um, Blue Falcon Hobbies paint line honoring the ghost of Kiev? That's, that's what I'm wondering. I, I think, I mean, I think there almost has to be, right? Actually, Doug, I'm kind of like this whole podcast, I've been picking up some like weird background noise. I, I was kind of wondering if maybe... Maybe it was like you accidentally, you know, I'm, I'm just hearing like these weird sounds in the back of your audio. I don't know. Uh, no, that's it. Just me trying to be jammed by the Russians because the Russians realize that I hate them and that I've always hated the Russians <laughs> and I will forever hate them. I'm sorry. Sorry to my friends that are Russians. I, I hate the Russians. But anyway, I digress. Hey, Doug, will you mention how uh, the website's going to change? We were talking about the ace cards that we will likely put up soon, how it looks now and how it's going to look. So if you have noticed, things have maybe started to disappear from the website. Uh, there, behind the scenes, there's a lot of changes where we're putting data and how we're hosting it so that it can be displayed in a variety of forms. Uh, what this means really to you is that rather than having like a single repository for all the aircraft cards, uh, each of the country's cards is going into a different database so that... We're going to change the layout of the Blood Red Skies add-ons, as I will call them, um, as we call them, the unofficial expansion section, uh, that you'll be able to sort it by national force. So you'll be able to go in and look just at the U.S., and you'll get U.S. aircraft cards, U.S. aces, and yes, in a shameless plug for things 3D printed, you will see Warlord models and 3D printed U.S. models. Uh, specifically because I do field a lot of questions where people ask me, they're like, so this is the force I'm building, or this is the, quote, faction I'm playing. I know all of you historical gamers hate that term from us 40K players. Um, you know, these are the armies I'm fielding. What models should I buy? Uh, so we're attempting to kind of roll all that together so that it's kind of one-stop shopping that someone can roll in there and say, okay, I have bought my box of Warlord P40s. I would now like to explore the historicity of other things American. And we'll be able to go in there and look at the other aircraft, say, yes, that one has a model. No, that one doesn't. Uh, oh, look, there's some aces. I can download these ace cards and I can play them in my game with these models or with these cards. And it open up the rest of the narrative side of the game. Because quite frankly, even though Warlord is doing a very good job at, at hitting a release schedule that is bringing new aircraft types and new aces and new stuff to Blood Red Skies, there's a ton of airplanes in World War II, <laughs> and they're never going to hit some of them. So we know that some of those will always be in the 3D-printed or third-party market, um, and you know, especially airplanes that you're not going to be able to buy for the next year, like Zvezda airplanes. Sorry, Russians. You can shove it up your ass sideways. Um, but you won't be able to buy those anymore. So there's going to be more aircraft that you're going to have to kind of pick and choose how you how you fit into your narrative campaign uh, or you know tournament style games 
Yeah, I think that's going to be great, too. I mean, even just for me, I've never played any Korea stuff. And now hearing about that Korea Ace, I'm kind of trying to think, you know, maybe some Corsairs, some P-51s, some Jets mixed in. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a great tool on the website. I think we need to, at another GOE, do more Korea. I know we did some last year at uh, TLC. We did a little bit at GOE in New Orleans. Both were done with big red skies, so they kind of limit the size of the battle you do. Brett, you've got a bunch of, um, you know, B-29s that we still have only fielded like once or twice. (laughs) Um, I think we need to do a Korea-themed event and bring out some of the history, some of the aircraft. uh, And if, Brett, you ever give me an F-84 ace, I will not play them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still butthurt how my my MiGs got just frog-stomped by your sabers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, sorry about that. And, and I sorry. just finished reading, a, uh, like, several books about B-29s and how they were escorted by F-84s, and, yeah, I was, well, was I, robbed, I, I tell you. I was robbed. I, I was robbed. I, I think there's a there's a good point historically there that um, I don't think we've necessarily explored in Blood Red Skies is that there's some airplanes that performed well in an escort job but were no match for the fighters that attacked them. Uh, so things like the F-84, the, the P-80 or the F-80 at that time, um, you know, they they provided a speed bump for the MiG-15s to go across that, that you know, slowed them down by the time they got to the B-29s uh, so that it helped help those guys out. But I think we need to do a couple more narrative scenarios with that, um, and maybe that's what we should concentrate at TLC, make it a Korean War kind of Blood Red Skies event, um, assuming I can get Brett's models because apparently you're deserting me and not going to be at Twisted Lords, but that's all right. And no, Brett, you're, you're not going to have the vanity plate of Rough Ride. That's disturbing. <laughs> All right. So we've been chatting for quite a while. We've talked a little bit about aces. Um, I have obviously told some people where they could stick their ideas and some people of a variety of political and international leanings where they could stick those. So now that I've reduced our readership to three people, uh, including Mitch Reed, um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about tonight, either about the history of aces, the myth, uh, what's important to take away from some of these uh, these different stories? Uh, you know, I guess just sharing my own personal experience, having not really known it, any of the history behind these individuals, it's just been a it's been a surprise and a joy to stumble across this stuff. So that's one of the best things about Blood Red Skies I've found so far is that it's it's inspired me to read in. You know, read some history accounts and other things that I would have had no other reason to stumble into. And it's it's been a lot of fun, that part of it. Yeah, I think really in the true spirit of aces being fun, we need not only uh, LPP podcaster ace cards of ourselves, but we really need to take some of the characters on the ready rooms and give them ace cards with traits appropriate to their personalities. I think that'd just be great, great fun. I don't know. See, I'm going to want to award people traits that aren't theirs, like Roger Garish, abrasive. (laughs) But he's such a nice guy. He can't have abrasive. No, abrasive is his trait. (laughs) Can no take backs be a no take backs can exactly be an a skill and we you know who we're talking about you who we're talking about no take backs um and if you don't we'll call you and tell you later (laughs) what what is the what is the ace skill for that what is the skill for no take i don't know i gotta figure that out now how how no no take backs is a card i have i'm not sure what that means it would deny something i don't know yeah it denies denies a re-roll card denies use of odd movement measurements or something like that (laughs) oh yeah yeah you know i am going to say one funny thing about transitioning to aeronautic imperialis from blood red skies going from a free play free movement game to a hex-based game there are no fucking arguments about who's in what ace or who's in what uh what arc it's all on the fucking hexes so it's it's kind of funny to go to that and not have to worry about hey man did you turn 45 degrees or 47 degrees no, it's it's just all hex based. That must so. put a huge hole in your strategy, though. I mean, sidestep. <laughs> I can't Doug, cheat. That, that I, yeah, hurts, exactly. Right? Old sidestep, Doug. I can't like you know bump your model and and find myself suddenly in a tailing solution. Yeah, I actually have to follow the rules. It's kind of weird, but you know that's the great thing about AI is apparently nobody else reads the rules because half of the questions I feel about AI, I'm like, uh, paragraph two of the movement section specifically says how that works or. 
did you read the section on firing? Uh, read that section. It will tell you how you shoot. Yeah. So like all games, nobody reads the rules. The last happy hour, somebody gave the hot tip. I guess players of uh, bolt action typically use this um, laser device that shoots a laser line on the on the tabletop. You know, so you hold it above the table and it shoots a a line, a straight line across the table versus like a regular laser pointer. Um, and uh, I guess if you use that in Blood Red Skies, if you're trying to you know verify if you have tailing, the cool thing that it does is when that laser hits the the uh, advantage stand, it lights up. So when you when you're right on the post, it lights up that post. So it's really clear. I thought, oh man, that's handy. I'm gonna have to grab that. I have one of those lasers in my box of stuff that Steve sent me. I'll have to uh, throw that in with my Blood Red Sky stuff next time we're playing. <laughs> yes, Steve, thanks for sending me that laser. That's awesome. I really need that. What the fuck, you people are a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> no, that's cool. I thought it was a cool that, tip. It is, it is a cool tip. I'm just making fun of you because I can, because I didn't think of using one of those line laser pointers, which, how did you not know about that? Oh, I guess you didn't play enough uh, enough 30K in Heresy. Dudes used to break that shit out all the time, and I'm like, y'all are killing me. <laughs> no, the first time I saw it was when we were at Gathering of Eagles, and somebody on the uh, bolt action table ha- uh, had one. I thought, man, that's that's super yeah, trick, man. Yeah. Check that those, thing those out. Those are cool. Th- those make it a lot, a lot easier. So, All right. Well, cool. Well, awesome, guys. Uh, thanks for being on the show, and thanks for enduring my various monologues uh, about all things Ace or ghost or uh you know game related so hopefully we have at least provided some information to all of you listeners and you haven't reduced your subscriptions by one podcast and removing us Um, but we'd like uh, for everyone to go out there like comment on the podcast received a lot of feedback in the last few weeks that has been super helpful to us about what people find interesting uh, what kind of games people play And especially, this may sound uh, a little self-serving, but especially if you are a player who doesn't have a big gaming group or doesn't necessarily have a lot of people that are playing Blood Red Skies, uh, if you got questions, please reach out to us. Uh, I'll always answer the emails. If it's something I don't know about, I'll kick it to Steve if it's 3D printing. Um, Brett, for a lot of the the Ace and the History questions. Uh, But please reach out to us because, once again, Part of the Blood Red Skies community is making sure that no matter where people live in the world, no matter what their social settings are, they get a chance to play the game, interact with other players, uh, and really enjoy the exploration of historical aerial combat. Well, thank you, everyone, and we will talk to you in the following weeks. Steve, Steve got to see my models when he came to the house. Yeah, they're good. They look nice. See stuff. You're color shift models your hoopty models they got big tires the mardi gras the mardi gras models it's not a squadron it's a crew that's what i have to say exactly yeah exactly it's a crew